calling all lovers of mystery and fans of a good story. If you haven't already heard me talk about June's journey, you're in for a treat. It's time to don your detective hat in this free hidden object mobile game that delves into the captivating journey of June Parker, a self-proclaimed detective on a quest to unravel the mystery surrounding her sister's untimely death. In June's journey, you get to play as June, deciphering clues and unveiling secret plots within thousands of beautifully illustrated scenes. And did I mention it's set in the glitzy 1920s? New chapters are added weekly, so you will never run out of new thrills to uncover, and you can also personalize and decorate your very own Orchid Island where the story takes place. How sharp are your detective skills? Find out when you download June's Journey on your Android or iOS device, or play online via Facebook games. Your detective journey awaits. Hello, LU cuties, and welcome to the League of Ultimate Questions Battle Ask Us. Yes. <laughs> the very, the very first LU Q&A of season two. Um, a big thank you to everyone, both in social media and the Discord, who submitted some great questions to us. little preface about the questions I chose, so no one feels weird about why certain questions weren't picked or anything. I wanted to uh, pick questions that would start a conversation at the table. First of all, because this is content, yes. <laughs> this is part of our job. I picked questions that were specific to season two so that everyone here at the table can participate. We're kind of, you know, we're not going to speak for things in season one because not everyone was here. A lot of questions made more sense for either players or DM. So on some of them, I would add a part B that would tie it in so that also the dungeon master or the players could answer. Also, some of the questions may be slightly paraphrased just to make them a little more logical. Or we'll just wholesale change them to fit yeah, our needs. I actually made all of these up, and I'm just going to slap random names onto them. None of these people <laughs> exist. <Ooh. laughs> all uh, of our glorious fans asked these questions. Uh, <laughs> Law 5 asks... Wink. <laughs> I was about to say, like, we're halfway through this sheet, and it's just like, why are all of you so unprofessional except for Law? <laughs> <laughs> why don't you just ask better questions? I don't have to do it for you. <laughs> why can I hear how big Law's dick is right now? <laughs> Ooh. It's the new mics. I hated the moment I said that. Patreon only. The new mics. <laughs> it's the new mics, yeah. By the way, if you're hearing particularly more dulcet tones than usual, that's because we have brand new microphones purchased by our Patreon supporters. Thank you so much, Patreon, for all that you do. Well, this question is from Sidonis, and I thought it was a perfect opener, and that is, what is the process of making an episode of LUQ from start to finish? Sugar, spice, and then uh, meaningless table talk. Right, which is known to some as chemical eggs. Yes, yes, perfect. <laughs> and then we make the Powerpuff podcast. Yeah. I mean, the bottom line is we record about once a month. Um, we do four sessions, which is four episodes. Each one lasts about an hour and a half to an hour, 45 minutes. Gets edited down to an hour. Hediger the editor does his magic with all of the files he gets sent. Each of us has our own audio track for each episode. And uh, I guess the considerable amount of work I do before it even touches Hedegar the editor doesn't say, matter. I, I was going to say, doesn't Zach trim them a little before they go to Hedegar? I don't trim. No, it's actually not even that much work. I just have a few pre-designed wrappers and some other stuff, some filters, etc., that I run through to make it sound good so that Hedegar only has to actually do the cut. Mm -hmm. What's your rapper name? Oh, shit. You said you had pre-designed rappers. I don't know. Uh... What, is, what would my rapper name be? Lil Dungeon Boy. Yeah, I was going to say, yeah. Dungeon Boy could fit into it because it's such a great name, but something to make it more rap proficient. Dungeon Bark. Boy would be a great rap name. Barky Bark and the Funky Bunch. 
That's Arky pretty Bart. bad. I really don't like that. Aren't rap names supposed to be pretty bad? I also really yeah. don't want to be associated with Mark Wahlberg, if I can help <laughs> it. <laughs> little Bark. Not that I have anything against Mark Wahlberg. Should I have something I, against Mark I have Mark a little Wahlberg? bit against Mark okay. Wahlberg. Okay, I just can't Mark tell. Mark Wahlberg, if you're out there, fuck you. <laughs> hey, save it for, uh, what, D20 questions when we ask for <laughs> fuck you. Right. <laughs> But yeah, Hedegger sends that file back, and then usually the crunch time is Monday, Monday morning to Sunday night for us. At some point during the week, I'll make like a commercial or a mid-roll for season two. I usually write up the uh, the episode script and then send it to law, mm-hmm. I, unless I am feeling particularly shitty and I have no desire to write anything, or I just, you know, it's a day that I don't like be doing my job, in which right. case I'll ask Law last minute to write an EXPN script. When do you guys, when do you guys record the color commentary? Because I think you used to do that after the day of recording, but I don't the think that happens very anymore. last second I can help it. Okay. We uh, we used to like actually sit together and mm-hmm. do it and we learned that it doesn't make a difference. Got like it. we actually have a little more freedom of schedule to I, I think it does make a difference, but the difference is so negligible uh, it doesn't even fucking matter. Like, right. I feel like the yeah, there there's like a give and take. Like the give of having extra time to write a clean script and the take of losing the energy of playing off of someone. So, you know, but it it works best for our schedule. So it gets written sometime in the week, usually done around like Wednesday, Thursday. I do all my stuff mostly on Sunday. And then Monday morning, Zach wakes up early, puts everything that Hedegaard sent him together, mixes in the uh, stuff that I send him, uh, adds all the music, and And, then we post a live. And sometimes Monday morning, I will panic write a meta script just so that I could be like, oh, shit, I realize (laughs) we don't have something. Do, so do you guys record the EXPN segments weekly then? You don't batch record them the way we batch record the episodes? I don't even batch. I, that would require that I batch write them. Okay. And uh, I'm not going to batch write shit because, boy, yeah. howdy, does my creative energy drain fast. That meter goes to red like that. And the time, the amount of times I've done like two episodes in one week is so, so minimal. Got like, it. Or, like two commercials, I mean. Mm. Uh, it's always of the week. And that's and, and on, I mean, honestly, anybody who's ever had a job knows exactly what it feels like to be sitting there knowing that you've got work the next day and just being like, I'm just going to fucking hate this so much. Mm. I love this job, but fuck me, man. Like, there are some days where I'm just like, I don't think I lo- like podcasting was a mistake. <laughs> <laughs> I, I think the big deterrent, though, is that because we actually have like a pretty decent followership now, mm-hmm. like compared to what we would have ever expected. Like everything we put out there is going to immediately be judged. So you yeah. really want to make sure you're doing it right. Doesn't stop me from phoning it in, though. Oh, yeah, absolutely. We're just talented enough that we can get away with that? Yeah. I guess My, no. my phoning it in just happens to be as good as the fucking bare minimum of internet content. Or we just happen to attract people with low standards. There you go. Hey, thanks for having low standards, everybody. We mm. love you. And then, you know, uh, what What are you guys' – how do you – what's your involvement? <laughs> like, what, t- Tell them about a recording session. All right, here's something that I think you've missed a little bit. Before a recording session, there's about 30 minutes to an hour of, of me stalling. me my knuckles. Yeah. <laughs> Meaningless bullshit. Yeah. It's, it's Absolute usually, stalling. It's just dread it usually fought back. It usually starts with Michael doing Michael's story time, at which point I'm frustrated, but then he says something that I find interesting and I engage on it, at which point it sparks a new story time from somebody else or Michael again. Yeah. And then we just do that ad infinitum. And th- eventually we do vocal warm-ups. That's true. Yes. But I do feel like there's a trend of me and Law waiting patiently. Yeah. Going like, yeah. okay, we yeah, got to record we Usually now. we get here at 10 in the morning and we don't usually start even saying, all right, we really need to start until almost 11. And that usually goes on for approximately 30 minutes. You know, Michael, you nailed it. It was, uh, I think, 11, 11 o'clock even when we started. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. There's a little bit of coffee. There's a little bit of chit-chat. Sometimes we go catch up on new it's business. True. But mostly it's just like weird 
pointless conversation foreplay. Do yeah. we do we want to show people an example of our vocal warm ups? <laughs> no. Ooh. Oh yeah, Dana was talking about it. Yeah, we yeah. do. We have we have straws and everything. We can't take that copyright strike for singing the Ducktales theme on air. That's true. Or the we don't sing the things. lyrics. Oh, that's true. We don't. <laughs> <laughs> and we're and I'm so off key that it definitely doesn't count. <laughs> yeah, we we usually do just uh, normal vocal warm ups, uh, stretching our mouths out with, you know, calibers and shit. <laughs> Big That's dicks. a lie. Okay, that's not a lie. <laughs> but Zach is a liar. You're throwing some weird curveballs at the audience right now. I just, I brought some that we used to do when I was in choir for many years and then we just like pick songs we all know like the Imperial March or mm. the DuckTales thing and like like Jesus, <laughs> that was so airy. Yeah. My lips weren't moist enough to get the but yeah, a lot of that really loosens up the mouth and then things like that. Yeah. It sounds idiotic and it works. Yep. It definitely increases the richness of your vocal tones and, and spares it, your vocal cords. And we spit through straws a lot. Yes, we do. It's so <laughs> spitty. I think that's a whole episode. That's the whole process, right? There's a, I there's thought you meant that was the whole episode of OUQ&A. Like. Yeah, that's it, folks. <laughs> Between every episode, we do have a little coffee break. Mm-hmm. But when it's lunch break, there's always the, okay... I'll eat only a little bit so I don't start falling yeah, asleep. Yeah, that's true. But then I, we're like, fuck, the food is good. I learned from eating an entire Jimmy John's giant sandwich that don't <laughs> fucking do that. <laughs> yeah. yeah, the first few chapters of um, Battle Access, I am definitely like like audibly lethargic in like the fourth episode. Yeah, if you, if you listen really carefully, you can probably tell which episode is the fourth episode because if I'm sure it's it. impossible to edit out all of the thurgy. The I'm, just, I'm just glad that y'all cut my tummy gurgles. Yeah. <laughs> I will say, though, that of all of us, Dana has the most noticeable energy drop when Dana is tired. It is remarkable. You should have seen there after freaking uh, uh, Rose City Comic Con practically dragging herself oh, everywhere. Yeah. God, I felt, yeah, I felt dead after Rose City. Mm-hmm. <laughs> she, has, she has this thousand yard stare that she gets when she's tired and I love it. <laughs> Whereas me, I am consistently exhausted feeling and looking and sounding. <laughs> so no change from law. Yeah, yeah. What a professional. All right. So let's get into some more of the uh, less technically questions and the more fun stuff. So this question is from Enner, and it is, how would each character describe their non-questing wardrobe versus their quest attire? And I'm adding on what kind of fashion trends are popular in Zenith with the Zenith themes? Ooh, Okay. I mean, I always wear the same thing all the time. He has a pair of dirty old wine-colored robes, and that's it. When yes. they upgraded the team colors, he just stitched in some new patchwork shit. <laughs> Your robes are wine-colored? Well, dirt. To, they transition from, you know, look at the mini. That's that's pretty wine-colored. Oh, I just I always just assumed they were brown. It's just various shades of ready brown. Okay. Yeah, it's burgundy. Autumnal leathers. <laughs> <laughs> God, autumnal leathers sounds just like me as a person. I like that. Autumnal leathers is a good like palette name. That's also just That's a good true. company name. Hey, anybody yeah. out there who makes leathers, don't take that name. Yeah, like a Western Outfitters, but like autumnal lit. So the question is, what's our regular wardrobe? Yeah, what are your civvies? <laughs> civvies versus questies. <laughs> yes, questies. I do. <laughs> like questies. I, I will say like the idea of downtime clothing for a hero just seems odd because you just kind of assume they're always walking around in their plate mail and other bullshit. I guess so. I mean, black on black is the idea for Gaspar. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. An attempt to be somewhat of a formal person. So I can't wear neckties. Does he ever wear like those like weird 
I don't know, like scoop neck sweaters with the side shoulder buttons and stuff like that. The like the edgy futuristic look that everybody's into now. No, absolutely not. No, oh, no, no. Bad. I'm sorry. So you don't have enough stump to wear a necktie. It wouldn't like hang on. It, it I, could, but that's a risk. I like the idea that he just wears turtlenecks, but then they just fold in like fucking <laughs> foreskin. <laughs> Gross. Uh, <laughs> Ew. He doesn't know how to fill out a turtleneck. <laughs> <laughs> Look, I'm just going to float this. I would love to see Gaspar in like a moto jacket. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. I mean, they've got to have it, or at least the equivalent. Mm-hmm. Or like a red leather jacket with a big pill on the back of it. <laughs> oh, there you go. <laughs> yeah, I don't know. It would be very similar to his questies. Assless chaps. Uh... I mean, technically all chaps are assless, but whatever. You know, as much as I would love to add that into his lore. He can't be headless and assless. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> no, Gaspar has a caboose. Yeah. Oh, yeah. He's got a he, real makes up, he makes up for lack of a head with a big cake, with a big dumpy. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, that's how I've always imagined him. Yeah. So both civvies and questies have to accentuate that cake. Mm, mm-hmm. That's true. Always with the uh, tall horse riding boots. Mm-hmm. The only thing that would change would be the armor. And I guess, yeah, in the questies, he's wearing, you know, an undershirt. Does he wear like yompers? Because those are cool as shit. What are those? They're like the, the, the riding pants that like poof out above the knee. Like for a fox hunting? <laughs> well, no, they're, they're, they're riding pants. Come yeah. on, yompers? Nobody? No. Oh, uh, my God. Some other version of that, yeah. Because, you know, different cultures have their different versions of riding sure. pants. You yeah, know? Where I grew up, it's just jeans. Bombachas. <laughs> But I just wear fucking Joey Bonafuco pants everywhere I go. <laughs> fucking garish fucking parachute pants. <laughs> They're for horse riding. <laughs> <laughs> to catch the wind. To catch the wind so I can break faster. <laughs> <laughs> oh, Jesus. What about Hal? Uh, I think I think Hal is Hal's adventuring attire isn't super different than his casual attire because as a barbarian he's got the unarmored defense. So he's got, you know, the option, which he usually takes, of just remaining shirtless. Mm-hmm. Sure. So his casual attire is probably like sweatpants, Adidas slides, and socks, I would say, right, most right. likely, with yeah. no shirt on. I could, I could totally see Hal as one of those dudes who just like spends all of his days off without a shirt and like Tasmanian devil pajama bottoms. Yeah, yeah, like, <laughs> like, yeah Hal's, Hal's casual attire is basically like loose-fitting pants and no shirt. <laughs> And Daisy Dukes to show off those that cake. Yeah, yeah. It was a big ass party. Beach shorts. <laughs> he doesn't. He doesn't skip leg day. So I just love the idea of it. It's like panning across everybody's asses, and then it gets to Penny with the deer butt, and then Liavos, which is just like a concave like hole. It's a, a withered acre. <laughs> <laughs> uh, although I could also see Hal wearing like big oversized team jerseys. Yeah, probably. Like Kevin Smith with the I mean, all LUQ. <laughs> there's probably I don't I don't know if, if Zenith has no shoes, no shirt, no service rules, but there's probably times where he's sort of obligated to if he's streaming on on Twitch, he has to cover those nips. Right. <laughs> he's got pasties on. Yeah. <laughs> the adventuring pasties. Yeah. It's just two LUQ stickers, just over each. Oh my god. I love it. What about Penny? The difference for Penny is mostly the armor because she does not wear armor when she's not on a quest because she, in fact, gets it, you know, from the from the armor requisition. Mm. All of her armor, by the way, is like skirted armor. But yeah, on quest, she's usually wearing athleisure wear. 
if you can imagine just like a- exercise wear. I love the term athleisure. I've never heard that before, but I love it. <laughs> Quest and, leisure. And then um, like casually, she tends to wear like dresses or skirts. She does share Halifon's love of crop tops. And she, she mostly doesn't wear a lot of pants just because they're not really made for deer legs. Not like yoga sure. pants with the fur poking through? No. No. <laughs> How dare you? Just matted fur. Like trying to like break its way through a pair of fucking zebra stripe yoga pants. Also, you've got the tail to worry about. Too, right. That, that's like, the other thing is yeah. uh, dresses are a little more forgiving on the tail. Mm. <laughs> so that's what I've always imagined. Though I, I imagine her um, like pajama set would have like like shorts and like a button top. Hmm, mm-hmm. Well, what do you think of like some of the fashion trends on Zenith? Like what's the look? Well, I can tell you right now, glamoring was the big thing that everybody was really into. But the major thing uh, in my mind, the way I've always imagined it is that most of Zenith is a mix between like, medieval quest wear and 80s like uh, cyberpunk shit. Mm. So like earlier I was talking about how Rain was wearing a cropped yellow jacket with the sleeves rolled up. Mm-hmm. Just kind of like very high color, very high contrast, very like super high saturation. Right. And everybody's just kind of trying to emulate whatever's going on in Able. Yeah, right. Because they're the trendsetters of the center of the universe. Exactly. And Acrataria being the fashion center of Zenith uh, and you know being run by an Abelite, everything is just fucking like everything's coming out of there all the time. Mm-hmm. But yeah, the ring has definitely got that kind of more uh, cyberpunky feel. Right. So it's like King Arthur meets Blade Runner. Exactly. Oh, <laughs> you nailed it. <laughs> uh, that is a really good visual. I like mm-hmm. it. I'd watch that movie. <laughs> what would you call it? I would it? watch the shit out of that. Excalibur Runner. No. <laughs> X-Caliber. No. Ooh, there it is. There you go. Futuristic Arturian legend. There you go. Oh, and it's got to be spelled caliber like a bullet. Yeah. 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 Exactly. Oh, yeah. And the, and the Holy Grail's like a flash drive. Oh, my God. The Excalibur literally being a gun sounds cool as shit. Yeah, oh, I'm into fuck. that. I, I'm sure that's in something. That sounds like... <laughs> It, I'm sure. I'm sure if you if you you could find that book that somebody self published on Amazon, and I bet it's bad. Yeah. <laughs> Jesus. Bonus <laughs> content on Patreon. Law and Zach reading that story as an audio book. <laughs> if it doesn't exist, I want to write it. Like, yeah, yeah. That's fun. Uh, so speaking of bad questions, now this is a great one actually. This is by Guillotine, who has some of the best questions and things to add to both our streams and our Discord. So, how would you describe the PCs as drinks, alcoholic or not? And the same with an NPC of choice. Mm. So if, if your character was a cocktail on a themed menu, what would be in that drink? I'm very excited to hear Angelo's answer to this because he is a booze boy. I am a booze boy. I feel like Hal's just a shoey. I was gonna say I was gonna say Hal is a tall glass of water, obviously. No, <laughs> it's definitely gotta just be a lager and a shoe. I was gonna say like a like some sort of protein drink beverage type situation. The alcoholic protein. Oh, <laughs> yeah. Just like okay. muscle milk and right. gin. <laughs> Which sounds awful. No, it would be like a Coors mixed with <laughs> with just whey powder stirred into it. Oh, Jesus. No, at least Bailey's or Amarula, right? Because you mix, right. yeah, like, you can put some sort of proper, like, <laughs> cream liqueur. There you go. He just seems like such a beer, like a cake stand kind of guy. Yeah, though. Hal's probably something with beer. Mm. Hal's like a flaming Dr. Pepper, probably. That's probably what Hal's drink is. <laughs> hmm. Now, are they asking this as a uh, cocktail that already exists, or do we have to make a new one? I think if you have the ability to pull one out, then absolutely go for it. Well, but since if you wanna... three people at the table are bartenders, yeah. I feel like it's only <laughs> it's only appropriate for you guys to actually make up a drink. I'm famously bad at making my own cocktails, though. Like they're, <laughs> they're I, I make I make cocktails that are fine. 
So well, you make up bad one. You're yeah. the person to make a perfect cocktail for Halloween. Yeah, Probably true, wouldn't yeah. be very good. Yeah, it is <laughs> fine. Like you drink it, you wouldn't order it again. That's what most of my cocktails are like <laughs> when I make my own. Well, I've got one. Mm-hmm. I feel like the commissioner would be Berenjäger, Goldschlager, and uh, some Suntory whiskey over ice. Huh. And maybe maybe some elderflower liqueur. Nice. I used to make a drink that it was a Berenjäger with a with green tea that was really nice. Ooh, yeah. There you go. There you go. I mean, Avos is just like mold wine. There's no mm. question about it. Like, get some cloves, some anise, maybe even a little tarragon or something. There has like, to be a secret ingredient that makes it Iavos. The tarragon. It's love. <laughs> tarragon. It's tarragon. Cardamom could be. Mezcal Ooh. actually gives it that smoky flavor. <laughs> mold mezcal. <laughs> <laughs> a sprinkle of fertile dirt. That's Your a mouth lot. just instantly goes numb. Yeah, it's, it's got a dust rim, actually. On yeah. glass. Now, I... I don't know drinks that well, um, but Penny is definitely going to be something that's like bright or effervescent that has like sweet or floral notes. But then there's also got to be something like bitter, like in the back of it in the aftertaste. Penny's like a French 75. I was going to say like a French 75 with like Saint-Germain or something. Yeah. Splashed in there. I don't know what that is. Oh, it's lemonade with gin and uh, then a tiny bit of elderflower for for my twist. And and Chardonnay. It's got a sparkling wine usually. Or Prosecco. Or Prosecco. Rain's a greyhound. No, no question. Just very sense. simple, very clean. Yeah. Or it's like a salty dog, something in that grapefruit. Mm-hmm. I meant champagne, not Chardonnay. Grapefruit's <laughs> perfect, yeah. I'm a bartender. It would be a weird French 75, we, but I we drink have, it. We have a sparkling Chardonnay at work, which is why I said mm-hmm. Chardonnay, but but typically Chardonnay is not a sparkling wine. No. Yeah. <laughs> I bought a very cheap, very, very good sparkling Moscato from Everyday Deals. I bought like, like four of them for a party, and mm-hmm. we had one left over, and I just like drank the whole damn thing to myself. <laughs> Moscato is a little too easy to drink. Yeah, yeah. Too yeah. easy. Okay. Is it normally sparkling? I feel like it's not. I think the most that I've had okay. are sparkling. Yeah, slightly effervescent, and then it, you can have sparkling Moscato. Okay, okay. Okay, here we go. I don't know if it's going to be good. I know it requires a little bit of tweaking, because you can't just go full you know, regular recipe on it. I will say, what? after getting completely hammed with you playing Arkham Horror, I will yep. say you make a good drink out of nothing. <laughs> Boy, if you give me scraps, I will make something up. But now you're asking me if I have the whole world at my... Okay, <laughs> so here it is. <laughs> Clarified Manhattan with a port float. Okay. So if you don't know what a clarified drink is, uh-huh. you make the drink. It's made with milk. You do a milk wash and you sieve it through a coffee filter multiple times until it's colorless. And that takes all the curds that are going to develop there. And so what you wind up with after you know a good time of work, this is not a drink you make on demand. <laughs> to order? To order. Yeah. No. <laughs> No, maybe order it and you get it in dessert. So you have just like this, like silky, slightly that whey milk taste to mm-hmm. it to like calm down a lot of sharp flavors. And now a clarified Manhattan is not that great. It loses a bit of its stuff. And milk usually, you know, that, that taste doesn't go too well with the with the Manhattan. But I think adding a nice little port float and changing some of the ratios could make it so that it would be a silky, smooth, wine fruit forward and complex cocktail. And that nice little float of port right at the top makes some good color. Alternatively, if we switch to beer, clearly Gaspar is like a layered dark beer with no head. Mm. A black and tan? Mm -hmm. Yeah. (laughs) There we go. I guess that would make Iavos like a something kind of herbaceous, like a Dunkelweiss or something. I think House is like beer. Heineken. 
Or like Rainier. <laughs> it's like the, yeah, I uh, same answer for Penny. Something bright or effervescent, but maybe some kind of an IPA, like adjacent. Mm. A rattler. Mm. I feel like Pug is an Arrogancet or just some like simple fucking like not, nothing lager. Mm-hmm-hmm. Yes. I want to, yeah, more about Pug. <laughs> <laughs> That's a real beverage right there. Yeah, and but Pug, Pugs is served with like a little beer cozy that is a vest. Just, <laughs> it's just a PBR with a ham sandwich floating <laughs> in it. Oh, <laughs> mm. Oh my god! The pug of war. Um, <laughs> what about Tharge? Tharge? Um, he doesn't drink. Are you oh, kidding yeah. me? His body is a temple. Yeah. Uh, you, okay. It's like a CBD. Well, actually, a THC those, uh, those, seltzer. Those empty calories are doing nothing for your gains. Exactly. <laughs> mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Well, moving from beverage to food, uh, most people have food quirks of some kind, like being particular about the origin of your maple syrup or eating popcorn by tossing it into the air, etc. What are some of the food quirks that your character has for this season? And what are some of the possible unique foods that you can only find in Zenith? That was asked by Reshman. <sighs> Sorry, Gaspar has his quirk. It's hard <laughs> to eat food when you got no mouth. <laughs> yeah, that's a tough one for next so, game, yeah. McGee. Can it go into an eyedropper? <laughs> Listen, anything can if you're determined enough. I feel like you could also just do like a turkey baster and just... Oh, that's true. <laughs> Just a good old bong. Just a gogurt tube. Gogurt right down the neck hole. <laughs> Every single time y'all come up with a worse image for how Gaspar eats. <laughs> he doesn't need to. He's just doing it to yeah. fit in by sticking a gogurt tube in his neck to fit in. Uh, but somehow, do- somehow by eating to fit in, he makes it less. He fits in less. Like. Yeah. Or you could literally do the popcorn thing to show your dexterity, but it just lands in your neck hole. Yeah. Well, he does taste through the head. Right. There you yes. go. So, and that's usually how it goes. But then, so I guess his quirk is having to remove said food because it doesn't ha- digest. It just pops right out <laughs> either of the ends. Just just cleaning up the masticated mess that comes out of the stump of the ne- of the head. Yeah. And then thumbing it down your neck hole. Yeah. <laughs> 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 I feel like I have a thing is he just really likes stew. <laughs> He's just a stew boy. So what's the special thing with stew? What do you what do you do with your stew? <laughs> it's the same pot of stew, and then you just add a couple new things to it. I just yeah. like the idea that anytime he's offered anything on a plate, he's just like, you know, if you threw this in a in a pot with some water, maybe you, <laughs> you got, got a stew, stew going. going. <laughs> he just anytime he gets handed a plate of food, he just immediately just upends it into his stew and just <laughs> oh, stirs. Like we order a Cretino's Arcana. He throws a pizza crust in the yeah. stew. Like it just it, it all goes in. <laughs> yeah. Now, you've started several stews already. You couldn't be, because in some of our quests, mm-hmm, you've mm-hmm. made some stews for people. You, I don't believe that you were bringing a, a stew, stew that starter. has been. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Unless you are, do you always carry just a pot of hibernating stew? I think like a can of st- of like just a starter for stew actually does kind of make sense. It would kind of make sense. But I think the more thing is whenever he makes food for the party, he's using like divine magic to kind of weave into it with like, you know prayers and prestidigitation so it always just kind of returns magically to that starter stew like it's all from the it's all coming from a cosmic pot it's right. not, the, not the contents oh, I see now I, see I don't now. know if anybody here has ever dehydrated stew before but you can do that in a dehydrator you can like pour it into these silicone things and it turns into like a, a stew leather that you can add water to and I love the idea that Iabos is sitting there at home making a bunch of stew cooking it down as much as he can and then using like prestidigitation to dehydrate the fucking stew right. and then putting it in a fucking bag she uses blight on it to just <laughs> suck all the moisture out it's making Fruit savory blight. astronaut ice cream exactly <laughs> I will say though 
you can rehydrate a stew like a motherfucker and it is really good. Mm-hmm. For same question for Penny. I imagine that she's still learning how to use silverware and eats with her hands a lot. Mm. And also probably frequently mistakes like garnishes or like table decorations as food. I mean, you did eat an entire bouquet of flowers, which is great. And they were delicious. And I, I imagine that going on like in other ways. She just doesn't understand what's normal for, um, you know, not dear people. You have a chambered stomach. You're fine. You can digest that cellulose. No big mm-hmm. deal. Agreed. You're, you're drowning in vitamin C. It's perfect. Hal's probably a sandwich guy. Oh, yeah. Probably like probably like a Scooby-Doo and Shaggy sandwiches guy where it's just like mm. as many layers as you can. Yeah. You know, I'm almost inclined to say that maybe you wouldn't be. You might be going the Sarge Hardbody route where you got like like mashed flavorless fucking uh, sweet potatoes and boiled oh, yeah. chicken breast. Boiled, boiled chicken, rice. Oh. Yeah. Uh, I, I kind of see how as one of those dudes who's like weirdly super physical and fit but still just eats garbage. Like, yeah, oh, oh, yeah. But see, that's the cheat day. Like, I love the idea of the house cheat day. It's like you come into the room and there's just this like bouquet, like like a banquet of food. And he's like, this is for me. Don't touch. So I just imagined Hal putting together like his Dagwood sandwich. And the, just like the top layer is just Sour Patch Kobolds. Oh. <laughs> oh, like cooked down into a into a bun. Just, just <laughs> pouring them onto it and then putting the top bun on it. Uh, just like peanut butter and French fries with Pop Rock sprinkled on top. <laughs> that sounds terrible. <laughs> Hal would probably eat it anyway. Foods that you can only get on Zenith, uh, well, it really depends on what spoke you're on. It's well known that in the Devil's Spoke of Verata, you can get basically anything, and it's all, quote-unquote, ethically sourced. You can find uh, soulless human meat, uh, that is to say cruelty-free human flesh, uh, among other things. Yeah, no, I mean, you can basically get anything you get anywhere else. You just kind of import it. One thing you can only get here, though, would be Leviathan meat. Mmm, yum. Hal is still mad that we didn't fight that Leviathan. If you've ever had whale... Probably like that. I have. Aww. Yeah, I do. Japan. Iceland. Nobody told me Nobody told me it was whale at the time, just like they didn't tell me I was eating horse. And I was like, wow, guys, you're just... Iceland is also where I had horse. There you go. <laughs> I've never tried either of those things. I've had alligator. Horse is called sakuraniku in Japan because it has a very pink color and the fat rivulets and everything like that makes it look like cherry blossoms. Oh. That's really cool. That's pretty. Sakuraniku. Not enough a description of what meat looks like in the name of the meat. (laughs) There should be more of that in the world. So, of the advertisers in-universe that have been mentioned so far in season two, which one do you think would be the most fun to have sponsor the team? And that's from Brendan Lake. I'm the wrong person to answer this. I'm not caught up on the show, so. (coughs) Shame. I, uh. Oni fans. Oni fans? (laughs) (laughs) Do you, uh, do you count as a yokai? Is that... <laughs> I feel yeah. like you definitely count as a yokai. I feel like anything oh, can yeah. probably be categorized as a yokai if it's weird. I mean, Penny also falls into Henge yokai, so that'd be fine. Mm. Penny, yeah, Penny's also into monsters, so. Mm. Teratophilia <laughs> makes it confirmed for season two. Triumphant <laughs> return for season two. But, like, if you're already like a fawn, it's not really. I mean, it's. <laughs> no, I, I've said this before on, on some of the live streams, one of the live streams, but if Penny hadn't gone unconscious on. Row K-47? 43? Row K-43. Row K-43. How the fuck do I remember that? How do you remember that? <laughs> I don't know. During the victory party, I was going to flirt with some of the Vrice. Yeah, that's fair. Mm. Yeah, Row K-47 is a 43. shithole. Yeah. No, I was saying, no, that's totally the, different you don't, don't want to go there. Oh, okay. Yeah, I got it. <laughs> I, I will say uh, I am both glad and terrified that you are maintaining the horny bard trope. So <laughs> it, I, I downplayed it for, Good, for yeah. a lot of the show. I will appreciate that. Thank you. <laughs> I mean, 
Statmore would be good just because we're all questing all the time, you know, like adventuring gear. Makes sense. Makes sense. I'm, I'm trying to remember what commercials we've had. I imagine we we living together now. We probably order out for a lot of Cretinos. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Penny nope. still really wants to try uh, Mutton King. Mm. <sighs> And then, mm. you know what? I honestly wouldn't mind, like, a golem butler. Oh, yeah. Get some tea up in there. <laughs> I don't understand. Why aren't you drinking the tea? <laughs> I can't see anything wrong with this. <laughs> okay. I feel like Stronghold would be the best, just because the idea that all of you now have to, like, either wear wigs to, like, fake a coiffure or in some other way, oh. like, like manifest these gigantic manes. I mean, again, though, no. selling hairspray to Gaspar is kind yeah. of like... <laughs> As always. I just like the idea of like a coat hanger sticking out of his back, holding a wig over his stump. Perfect. Mm, he could perfect. just he could get like a lion tabaxi head for, for that particular <laughs> ad that literally go. has a mane. Oh god. I mean, maybe you've just got like the nicest pubes. Like <laughs> <laughs> Well, that went in an unexpected direction. <laughs> Did it? It's a good old happy trail. <laughs> you know, I could see I could see like a like an eighties metal, like hair metal band version of Hal mm. without too much trouble, like just giving him the whole like mullet. twisted sister poison, mm. like just Massive, just the juiciest teased up mullet you can possibly yeah. imagine. Gaspar, <laughs> how do you quaff your pubador? <laughs> pubador, pubador. <laughs> how dare you t- say yeah. we shouldn't say such horrible things and then bust out pubador? I, you know, uh, I, I've given up. It's just this Dana, fucking just imagine a pubador. Oh, I, I am. I'm okay. getting this, this bouffant merkin, just like it's so glorious. I'm trying to imagine pasta. pomade in your pubes, and I'm just like, that would just be the worst experience. <laughs> yeah, I mean, obviously, I think Hal would work really great for, for second wind, you know, energy drink. Yeah, even though I'm not a fighter. Lifestyle vitamins. It's for everyone, I know. Maybe. The group probably orders a lot of Cretinos. Uh, yeah. I think, I feel like from season one almost, like, uh, Domain Farms would reach out to Iavos. Oh, yeah. Such oh, yeah. a good old salt-of-the-earth boy. I don't. I mean, I could see. I could see Gaspar getting like a sponsorship with Statmore, like for the new line of sneakers with like the stealth sneakers. Uh huh. Yeah. Ooh. Yeah. Like you're you're all about the moving quick on your feet, and he's forced everybody else to wear them too. Like yeah. y'all got to get your stealth up. Yeah, just a little bit. You've got the perfect body for a foot model. Like there's no mm. trouble about head. They don't have to pay for extra headshots and stuff. There's nothing to worry about up there. Hal would be so Finally. upset if Gaspar got a shoe sponsorship before he did. <laughs> like that's when you've made it as an athlete is when you get the shoe deal. You're not wrong. Like, <laughs> I can't imagine Penny trying to wear shoes. <laughs> Penny like having oh, to yeah, put on her sneakers. Well, definitely not Faye away for this group because that would mess Penny up. <laughs> yeah. When you were talking about silverware, I was also thinking like, I wonder if there's some Faye who are like sensitive to silver that would just hate the idea of actual like silverware. Like it burns us. Like even they, though it's not iron. Statmore has to make like stealth horseshoes. Right. You know, for deer, they're just <laughs> question mark. Just so your mount can also mm-hmm, mm-hmm. be a little stealthier, and then we'll just slap the. You know, it's got grip to it. It's, it's uh, <laughs> right. We will it's we'll, just like a spray. We'll yeah. delve into oh, the future yeah. variations of, of racial shoes from Statmore. I'm sure. <laughs> so this is a fun one that only two of us can answer. Isn't that cool? <laughs> no, but uh, what about the world was shared between Law and Zach, and what is made by Zach himself? And that's from Will Higginbotham. Well, 
when I was designing season two, I wanted to make sure I touched Law's world as little as conceivably possible. Mm -hmm. But that doesn't mean that Law didn't have a hand in it. I did want some help kind of like formulating what would make sense in the universe because it is the same universe. Mm -hmm. It's just not the same plane. So he was he was in there helping me kind of like formulate the, the season ideas, kind of the background concepts. But I tried to make sure it was as spoiler free as possible. Yeah, we intentionally tried not to have be too many connecting lines between one and two. Because it just makes things cleaner continuity-wise. And uh, it makes it kind of sad when everyone's like, well, what about this thing from season one? But it's like, this is really its own its own thing. Like the concept of Abel we used in season two because it makes a lot of sense. And it'll probably continue through with future seasons and stuff if I had to guess. Because it could be anything. Like I, if I create the idea of Abel, like Zach can do whatever he wants with it. It's infinite. Like there's no, <laughs> there's no need to worry about it. And then just like however we manage to hash together how the league works it'd be like well this is what it's going to be like in the future when it's more refined and they've been doing it for long. we did get a lot of help from a friend of ours dave mladenov who yes. we we sat down and we wanted to really iron out the rules for the league especially like how glory would work and how uh, mm -hmm. combo moves would work and stuff like that and dave just like you know being a lawyer and having a mind like a goddamn like calculator for this well, and kind just of stuff. a sports fanatic oh yeah yeah he, he's literally the perfect combination of sports fan and D D fan so he was the ideal person to bring in for it he's also the only listener who gets my sports references when i make them <laughs> <laughs> but no he was he was absolutely instrumental in formulating the rules for for everything and there's honestly even more stuff that we haven't even begun to touch like the stuff that's coming down the pipeline for season two is buck wild and i'm just i take things very very slowly as you might have noticed so this would be a good place to ask, and you don't have to answer if, if it's deliberately mysterious, but have we ever said how, what the timeline from season one to season two is? Like, officially how long it's been since we season We have one? not. So I am deliberately leaving that as vague as I possibly okay. can. And there's a reason for that. Frankly, the less time, the less you know about the timeline, the less people will try to make comparisons between season one and season two. Okay. I don't want people thinking about it in terms of, okay, who's still alive? Okay, what's mm -hmm. still going on? Because mm -hmm. I want you to just think about it as time has passed. And that is all. And the best way I can I can kind of impart onto you, anybody who's listening, if you've listened or excuse me, if you've watched Doctor Who and you're a fan, you might have noticed that when the show changes writers, they don't really touch on the old writers work. There's there's the common threads like, you know, the Daleks and the Cybermen. They're in every season and they're in every writer's, you know, arsenal. But the original creations of the writers themselves tend to be left alone. And that's what I was doing here. Mm -hmm. New Doctor new enemies, new concepts, new stuff. And anytime we do a new season, it's going to be the same because no creator wants to walk in the shoes and the world of somebody else's creation. It's just not fun. Right. You know, you don't want to be like tied by another person's ideas, which is why I wanted to create Zenith as a concept, because now if you create another universe, it can be a completely different universe. And the only connecting thread will be you can go back to this place. Yeah. And the nice thing about a format like LUQ is there are some things you can carry over that aren't part of the narrative. They're just like flavor, like brands, like a brand could exist for hundreds and hundreds of years and evolve. So you can reference things like the Iron Church or something like that. Like it's a faith. It's not going anywhere. Yeah. Doesn't mean that X amount of time has passed. So I think that's good, though. I think I think people will appreciate having the official answer is it's deliberately nebulous. And also just fair warning to everybody out there. I don't like canon as a concept. I think it's stupid. And I understand that a lot of you probably care a lot about it and you'll want to ask me a lot of questions about it. And I'll be free, happy to answer 
anything I can. But for me personally, I think canon ruins stories. The moment you feel like you're having to adhere to what came before, you're not creating the best story you can. Think about like comic books. All the best comic books have been side stories written completely separate from canon that were just incredibly compelling because they re-examined the thing in a different light. So if you want to enjoy the show as it is, feel free to do so. If you want to know about canon, I'll give you what I can, but there's going to be a limit to how much I can share with you. But yeah. Yep. That's storytelling, baby. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You're, it's not about accuracy. It's about the content, the quality. Yeah, exactly. If something has to change in the canon, mm-hmm. so be it. Which is a little small like DM tip for first timers. Mm-hmm. If you're doing a like a pre-written adventure, don't worry about learning everything about Waterdeep. Yeah, uh, about that place. It's yours now. You get to do whatever you want. Right. In that mm-hmm. vein, every single pre-written campaign, you should be customizing it. Yeah. Like, yes. None of them should. You should be running completely just as is because there's so many details that, like, I know as a writer, I want to include. That's just too much. Yeah. Like, make it up. Well, and one of the best parts about being the arbitrator of what story is true and what isn't, and especially about keeping it vague, I can lie to you, and I have. Mm-hmm. And I know that might be a pretty tasty (gasps) nugget to some of you out there, but I've absolutely and directly lied to people at this table, and I have definitely lied to you as the audience. No. So maybe just don't necessarily take everything for fact. All right. Now everybody has to re-listen to every (laughs) single episode, figure out where Zach lied, (laughs) his change in tone, his delivery. We actually died in the first episode, and the rest of us (laughs) is all just... (laughs) Just, I'll just pull a saint elsewhere. Fuck it's like that. one of those dark Disney like head cannons. It was all a dream. Oh. I almost is still dreaming. <laughs> this <Yeah>. is just purgatory. <laughs> those are awful. And and like Law said in one of the earlier LUQ and A's, feel free to swing at every ball, but don't be proud of yourself if you hit something. Yeah, yeah, that's the whole thing. Like some people are like, I'm gonna guess thirty things and I got it right. I totally predicted it. Like, yeah, okay. <laughs> yeah, a thousand monkeys with a thousand typewriters, right? But it's cool. I'm, I actually get really excited when people are that passionate and like really dig their minds, and it's like, wow, they really like this story, and that feels good. On that note, I have a request. Feel free to tell me if you particularly like something in the show. You might think I hear that a lot. I don't. I don't at all. So uh, if you like something, tell me. And that goes for season one as well. Like, I know a lot of you have just now. I'm guessing somebody listening to this listened to the entirety of season one in the last week. Go ahead and tell Law everything you liked about it. I still care. (laughs) (laughs) I still like that season one exists. Um, As excited I am about season two. We're about to witness a planar phenomenon, a keyhole between worlds that only marketing can penetrate. Join me as we glimpse into the adverse. Hey there, it's Rachel Ballinger, and I am thrilled to invite you to Rachel Uncensored, my podcast where I get real with my friends and celebrity guests, where we talk about all sorts of topics. From personal stories to hot-button issues, we cover it all. New episodes drop every Wednesday. So make sure you tune in on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen to podcasts. Trust me, you won't want to miss out on the fun and candid conversations we have here on Rachel Uncensored. I'm in. That's hacker talk, we say, when we bypass a security system. And I'm the best hacker alive. They call me Sergeant Download. And I'm a deep web cyber criminal. My specialty is hacking into marketplaces of big franchises and costing them thousands of dollars by reducing the prices of their products. And today, I have a new target. 
Manscaped.com. If you'll excuse me, it's hack time. Bypassing the firewall. Pouring through the URL matrix. Rerouting Infotronics into the memory web. Oh no, I'm being counterhacked. And they're good. They're backdooring bots into my power RAM. Time to unleash my secret software. Double de-encrypting their memory files. And I'm in. But wait, there's someone here. Who are you? My name is Manscapex, the sentient hygiene AI. You have no place here, Sergeant Download. No way I'm leaving before I reduce their prices. Power to the people. But look, their prices are reduced. This Cyber Monday, we'll have 25% off site-wide and free shipping. 25% off everything? Yes, the Performance Package 4.0, which is an amazing holiday gift for the fuzzy friends in your life. The new body wash and two-in-one shampoo and conditioner. The weed whacker for nose hair removal. The foot duster for better smelling feet. All toner. The Shears 2.0 grooming kit. And don't forget the great smelling cologne. And so much more at Manscaped.com. These prices, they can't possibly be hacked any lower. My work here is done. But that's not all. Use code LUQ for 20% off and free shipping the rest of the time. I'm going to load up on great personal grooming products. I can't wait to buffer my deep net and debug my backlog with these amazing devices with skin-safe technology. Yeah, bro. You sit in an office chair all day. You have a bad case of gamer funk in your pants zone. Check out Manscaped.com this Cyber Monday. When it comes to deals this fresh, I'm in. Hey there, cuties. Or should I say, good day, Madrol. This is our very first Season 2 LUQ&A Battle Ask Us, and we're excited to get back to the normal show next week. But honestly, we love doing the Q&As. They really help to give you a peek behind the scenes and let us talk shop about what it means to be a member of the LUQ. I'm going to keep this mid-roll short and sweet and remind you that the best way to support the show is with Patreon. We have a ton of great LUQ rewards available, and at the highest tiers, you can become a character in the metaverse or join our legendary mid-roll teams, which are currently the Titans Rise, the Forgotten Legacy, the Ceaseless Horde, and this week's featured team, the Twilight Concord, with Eerie Lunar Rose, Maisie, and Korgoth. All the links you need for social media, actors, pages, merch, and more are available at the LUQ.com. For info on getting an ad or personal message on the show, contact admin at slapdashstudios.com. If you're purchasing any LUQ merch for the holidays, be sure to use code LUQHOLIDAY for free shipping until December 25th. If you want to send fun D&D stuff or fan art to the cast, the P.O. Box is 230091 Tigered, Oregon 97281. We love putting pictures of cool stuff we get on social media, and we hope to keep doing more in the future. Please, no send food or drink of Homemake, please. Follow us at twitch.tv forward slash slapdash streams. We've started giving away sets of crack and dice during the live streams on Monday and Wednesday. So if you want to participate in that, follow the channel and join the Discord for your chance to win those crack and dice. And do those early because sometimes it takes a while for Discord to update. Mondays, we premiere new LUQ episodes hosted by Dungeon Mistress Dana. Wednesdays, me and Zach play Soul Link Pokemon Nuzlocks. Thursday night is Penny Plays with Dana returning to the stream. And the rest of the week, we do whatever we have time for. It's a great community, and now we've got giveaways. 
We'd love to see you in the Discord. We'd love to have you download episodes to help boost our numbers. But most of all, we just love you for being a fan. And that's enough out of me. Let's get you back to the Battle Axis. Welcome, friends, to Oak Barrel Hollow, my home and hall. Please find comforts here. Enter, rest, and remove your boots from the long road. I'd rather not. Come now, friend. You are welcome here. This is a clean and restful place, not a place for worn leather boots. Please, I don't... Boots. Off. (gasps) Don't look at me! I was so embarrassed by my HPPB, I couldn't show my feet anywhere. I thought I was so alone. Until I discovered... Togain. Togain is an all-natural hair growth treatment that's apothecary recommended to remedy halfling pattern podiatric baldness. Enjoy being barefoot without feeling barefoot. Togain helped me go from pink naked sausage toes to big, bushy, beautiful, fuzzy feet. The ladies love them, and I'm more confident than I've ever been. Fuller, thicker foot hair recovery in just 60 days. Togain. Put your best foot forward. So this next question is from Super Irish Cream Bar. Ooh, that sounds delicious. It does. I would it sounds eat really that. nice right now. Yeah. It just, I think it's just a dreamsicle with Baileys in it. <laughs> I, I, it, I, I maintain that I would eat that. I was ready to Super Irish Cream Bear. Mmm. <laughs> Well, that's a fun fact. It's a good nickname. So the question is, I like this one. How do you plan your character growth? Do you make those choices after you've played and base it on the RP choices? Or do you RP to fit the choices you've already made internally? And then how do you fit that into the world? Mm. I like this one a lot. That's a great question. That's a really good one. Mm -hmm. So thank you, Super Irish Cream Bear. (laughs) Starting just from the DM's perspective, the smartest thing you can do as the creator of the world is ask your players where you want their character to go. The second they have an idea of how they want their kind of arc to be, and not even specifically the arc, just the idea behind them. Okay, Artyom, for example, was a person who used to be evil and is struggling with the nature of good as he tries to, you know, play against his own nature and nurture and just his own idea of what those things are. I never necessarily wanted him to be a good person by the end. I just wanted him to struggle with that question, and that's how it came out, and that's all I ever really needed to tell Law, and it kind of just worked. Mm-hmm. I mean, like, Iavos, for all the characters that I've made in my life, is probably one of the more back-end heavy ones as far as, like, instead of designing his personality down to the T, I just really dug in and, like, built a lore. And then I wanted that to kind of sculpt him. And wrote poems. Exactly. Like, I, it's, a, it's a small Bible of this very nondescript faith and just kind of use that to influence him and just kind of slide into whatever his personality is naturally. I knew he would like be very positive, try to always look on the bright side of things. And so learning how he would interact with a group like this, whether people are like extra negative or not as bright or extra planner, like how, (laughs) and then being this old decrepit thing and fitting into this setting, like how can I get thrown into a violent situation and play Iavos as someone who's trying to look at this positively? Like, well, my friends are getting to be on an adventure and and we're going to be okay, you know? So a lot of that is just me basing choices off of how would this affect someone of this faith and how can I remain positive kind of stuff. 
I do a lot of kind of flying by the seat of my pants as far as character growth goes. Like, I play the character and then I try and think how would they react in that moment. And Zach actually got on me in season one about Harthax being a little bit one dimensional and needing to think about what have they been through? How would that have changed them? And thinking about that was, I think, a good RP exercise of kind of leaning into, yeah, you know, Harthax started as a lawful evil loner and ended the campaign you know, with a group of friends that were close enough, they kind of considered them family. But and, still a lawful evil loner. <laughs> but yeah. I don't think I don't think Hardex was lawful evil anymore. I'm gonna be lawful neutral. Yeah, we never actually discussed any alignment shifts. Yeah, because I don't think. Well, I think for writing, alignment is a really really great template. But yeah. in actual like role play, it's not that important. No, well, and it's also it's not unless you're an extra planar creature that's bound to an alignment, you're gonna. Yeah, save that drift. for the DM though. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. But as Hal, there's a lot of sort of made up on the spot trauma <laughs> that I've accidentally created and accidentally foreshadowed a couple of times yeah. and then things happen and I'm like, wow, how would that, how would that affect Hal? And where am I going with this now? And I, I'm learning as, as much as you guys are, what's happening with Hal <laughs> just based off of snap decisions in the moment. Yeah. Yeah. My experience is very similar. All of my characters, uh, the way that I play is to kind of continually discover them based on what happens in the game. That said, Penny in particular is incredibly chaotic because like her very concept of herself is very like constantly shifting throughout this campaign. And so I'm trying to like I'm super open with Penny and I'm just constantly coming up with all sorts of possibilities. And in any given moment, I will go for whatever one seems to make the most sense to me. And that's that's even different than someone like, you know, Amelia, who, though, that's like part of my play style. Amelia has goals. Penny right now is discovering herself, so it's it's different, and I, I play into that. I think Gaspar, or at least I had it somewhat easy. Gaspar's existence begins with an ultimatum, so I kind of know that that growth heads there. So Heads. <laughs> the fun part is seeing what path it takes there. Like how Dana's doing her character development is somewhat similar to Gaspar, which is why they've, I think... Dana and Gaspar's dynamic has shifted so much oh, significantly. all throughout because in character creation, I already go out like, okay, right at the beginning, Gaspar should very much dislike Penny, hate her even. <laughs> and almost like in the first, second episode, somewhere there, it's really hard to hate Penny and Dana, right? It was yeah. just like way too much of like, okay, wait. Thank you for including Dana in that. Yeah, of course. <laughs> and I, at that moment, there's somewhere in that episode where I was like, maybe he'll be sympathetic to Penny. Maybe he sees something in Penny. It's like, no, I do see something in Penny. He should too. So See, that's really funny because from my perspective throughout this season, Penny would be a, a slightly to, to like moderately different character without Gaspar. Because just like watching Gaspar and how people interact with him is really when Penny kind of sits back and realizes how dark this world can be. And a lot of her skepticism at this moment in the campaign is, is, due, to, is due to that. Yeah. And there, there are more examples of both of that happening. So either we've ruined each other's characters. <laughs> <laughs> 
or we've just elevated ourselves. No, I'm yeah. I'm excited to see the dynamic keep continue to grow between them. It just keeps like we keep shifting, we keep changing places. It almost feels like we are in a dance. It's pretty great. Not gonna lie, I wish y'all hated each other more. <laughs> I, uh, <laughs> I know, right? Okay, okay. So per- personal, this is just me talking as Zach, not as the DM or not as any of that shit. Personally, I hate the trope of everybody loves each other right out the gate. I like characters who have to earn trust, earn love, earn affection. Mm-hmm. And I think that, that was really something I embodied when I was playing our gym because I'm like, he's never, ever, ever going to call these people family. He's never going to do it. And he never did. Yeah. It was very important to him that he never did that. <laughs> Because to me, it's like, I know people who I enjoy working with, and I really like them as people. They're not my family. They're not even really my friends. They're just somebody I work with. Mm-hmm. And I don't know. I just, I, I but I, I do really love your guys' dynamics. I don't think there's anything wrong with them. I just, part of me is like, God, I wish there was more character drama. No, I mean, when you're in a team, uh-huh. you're putting each other's lives on the line. Yeah. You're in charge of protecting the other. Yeah. You at least don't want there to be animosity right. a, a shallow drama and you also see it a lot in the real world like with like platoons like military groups that work together like that group yeah. of dudes they become they like forget about every bad quality and just become like brothers you know mm-hmm. that's the whole trope and they stay friends after they leave the service for well they don't tell you is how much they hate each other right. in the exactly. moment because just like totally. I mean, you have a roommate that you've known for years but you're just like god this fucking guy clips his goddamn toenails yeah and you're just like <laughs> you see the worst of them too and you just kind of have to pretend it's not there but like this is a format where like they can say whatever they want. Like we're not in a in an army. We're freelance military like uh, cell swords. I'm not gonna lie. I want each of you guys to come up with a reason, something specifically that you really don't like about each other that you've like encountered from adventuring and from living together. And I want to use that. So mm-hmm. hit me mm-hmm. with it. Why are you sowing hate amongst our team, dude? Because it's compelling. <laughs> okay. Okay. Well, this is a great follow-up to the next question, which is, uh, how much of what happens are we queued in on or planned beforehand? Depends on the episode a little bit. I try to let them know ahead of time if there's something that I want them to improvise, just so they have a little bit of time to kind of come up with an idea. I do like to give a tone for the episode, so it's like we're going into it, and I'm like, okay, this guy's this is going to be pretty combat-heavy, or I'll tell them I don't have as much planned for this one, so feel free to come up with some filler. But yeah. Yeah, you usually tell us when there's upcoming downtime, and then the Labyrinth is the only other time we had real, like, warning. Because he didn't warn us for the uh, for the Grim Procession. Not really, yeah. True, yeah. Yeah, like, me and Dana have some pre-written stuff just because that's how we made our characters. Like, being a bard and a faithful wizard cleric. So if we can pull from that, sometimes we do. And it sounds, you know, like, pre-prepared because it is. But it's, you know, like reading from a Bible, like, kind of thing. Uh, yeah, I for for me, I actually prepared multiple possible poems for the Labyrinth, and this, the one that I, I read recently for the Grim Procession, was one of the rejected ones. But I mean, there was a ton of it for character creation, and then we don't really know what's in the future for our characters from like what Zach has in store. But we'll definitely like throw ideas out in advance. Like I proposed the idea of Opus to Zach, and to saw if he wanted to like play with that, and Ugh, it was so it, it fit really well. <laughs> So now it is a real part of the world. One thing I do try to check with is if an idea I have for later character development or the story is potentially problematic or worrisome or what have you, I try to pull the person who is the subject of that aside so that they can have an idea of what's going on. And if anybody's uncomfortable with something I'm planning, I just walk it right the fuck back and come up with something else because I definitely don't want anybody to walk into a character that they're not excited about. And I definitely don't want anyone to have an idea of what they're doing and then have that changed. Mm -hmm. Law hit me with that question again. It was how much of what happens 
are you cued in on or planned beforehand? I would say not too much. More yeah. than you would expect at a normal game. Yes. But yeah. reasonable amount for a in podcast. In fact, I wouldn't even say like more than you'd expect in a normal game. It's hard to decide what a normal, I guess the Fair. average game. Yeah. Let's, yeah, yeah, the average game. But and there boy, are is game. That, and boy, is that average dragged down by some people. <laughs> right. <laughs> I, yeah, that's I feel true. like it's not so much like getting clued in on things that are going to happen. But for the purposes of the show, we just have more frequent one-on-one talks with Zach about our characters and what you know we want to do with them and things like that. Which he, does happen in people's campaigns. Yeah. I highly recommend it. It should also be noted that when we started this show from even as far back as season one, I made it very clear and Law made it very clear that this was not supposed to be game first, story second. Their two were supposed to be married together as one thing. Mm-hmm. And that, that like unlike Critical Role, where they were like, we're just going to be doing our normal game at the table and people will watch and enjoy that. We wanted this to be a podcast and therefore we wanted it to be compelling. And one really great way to do that is if people have an idea of what's coming. But we don't know like plot cues that are coming up. It would be no. like saying like okay next week we're all going to play some dark sun like we have that tells you something that tells you basically like what kind of mentality you can be in for but what's going to happen in the story no idea sometimes we have a general theme but that's typically about it it's not I think one one particular example was for this chapter that we're in the middle of and about to finish I did let them know that they were going to have an opportunity to ask questions about error Mm-hmm. That's just a simple thing. I'm like, you will interact with somebody who does know about the world and you will have an opportunity to ask questions in that regard. And that's because I know how hard it can be asking questions in the hot seat and you just kind of lock up and you're like, I can't think of a single fucking thing. And admittedly, even after knowing that, they still locked up a bit. <laughs> but that's to be expected because you don't know what you don't know. But there also was a bit of an espionage kind of twist to it where we couldn't give away we were not from right, here. Sure. That's yeah. why we were like, how do we ask these questions that obviously show that we don't know anything? And that is proof positive that there is nothing different between me and every other DM because I make stupid decisions that I regret. Mm. And I definitely regret telling you guys that you weren't allowed to tell people where you're from. <laughs> I think it added a fun twist to it. It, uh, it was. It was just a more difficult time consuming. Sure. For me, as like someone who likes to solve like vocabulary puzzles of like how I'm phrasing things, oh, yeah. it was delightful. Like okay. being Iavos and like kind of okay, but also roughly circumnavigating the mm-hmm. fact that it's all foreign to us. It was it was charming. And that question was from Wolf of the Borderline. So thank you for that. Thank Thanks, you, Wolf. Wolf is always so nice about my my stuff. Always telling me good things. I, I was gonna say you should watch the Twitch live feeds just for Wolf's reviews of your stuff. He's he's loving oh. season two. I'm a uh, carnivore. I'm on the border, and I love Luq. <laughs> <laughs> this is a very short and straight to the point one. This is from Joey Jojo. What's the reason for choosing your race and class? No. <laughs> So we got a no from Angela. <laughs> no, no, no. We actually did have a surprising amount of collaboration on that, except Law. Law was the only person who, like, you know, just kind of had a decision I wanna, already. Didn't want to be that guy, but it was just like it worked. Oh, it, was, it was too good. <laughs> it was too good. And I would say uh, Penny. Also, you kind of already knew that you wanted well, to be the fame. Well, yes, right? but that's because what I do is I come up with <clears throat> multiple character concepts that I bring, and then I pick the one that fits best with what other people are playing. I had two that I liked the best for this season. Mm. One was like a dragonborn mother whose husband left her for the, you know, dragon that he was chasing for most of his life and was kind of on the rebound from that. And then, I had... <laughs> 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 and 
And then I had uh, my original idea for Penny was like a fae who comes from a fae world and just wants to, is really excited to explore like the mundaneness mm-hmm. of the material plane. And the, the like original concept was going to be very into like office job type stuff and like having boundaries and was very excited about that. <laughs> having boundaries. <laughs> right. Exciting normal things like having boundaries. <laughs> yeah, no, and... And then, uh, you know, when we talked to Zach about the world, this idea of kind of interplanar characters and plurality kind of came up. And uh, I I said, yeah, let's I would love to play that. For me, like the race is always essential to the character. Mm. I'm not somebody that comes up with a character and says, now what race do I make them? Like my, My concepts, it's always essential. It shapes so much of who the character is for me. And Penny is a fae. And me just being a naturally controlling person, when I hear something that doesn't resonate well, I tend to give commentary and criticism because that's just who I am. So with Gaspar and Hal, there was a lot of a back and forth of like talking about what would work best, what's more interesting, and how can we make this you know more compelling or whatever. And I feel, I sometimes I feel bad about that, but then I'm also like, God, the characters came out really good though. Yeah. Hal, Hal is actually my backup character for season one. If mm. if Haru had ever died, my backup idea had been, and you hear this on the show if you've listened to it, as soon as we met the was it the Unborn Forge, is that mm-hmm. what they were called? Yep. I was like dibs on playing a machine guy. Yeah. And so the original concept for Hal wasn't going to be named Halifon, he was going to be named Bulwark, and he was going to be a Warforged. Mm, yeah, um, I, remember, I remember that. Yeah, and he was it was going to be the same paladin-barbarian combo where his, his whole shtick was... He's the shield between enemies and the rest of the team. Mm-hmm. Right. And then Zach's like, don't play a Warforged. One of the commentators is a Warforged. I don't want to have multiple Warforged on the show. Pick something else. <laughs> <laughs> I think there were also other reasons. Like, one, it's very explicitly an Eberron thing, and I try not to touch that too much. Actually, the announcer is not a Warforged. He's uh, inevitable. Okay. Yeah. Which admittedly is still also Eberron, but whatever. Right. Yeah. So, yeah. So then I was then I was trying to think, unlike Dana, who's picked the races, that's part of the character. I was like, I had the sort of the build. And then I was like, what would make sense for that sort of protection mindset? And that's where I ended up on Asimar of sort of a, a angel. Yeah. And what we kind of like, I mean, you obviously did most of it, but like, this is a unique race. Uh, oh, uh, sure. I mean, but we can start even slightly earlier. Kind of funny. I made three characters. Mm-hmm. And I don't know if you remember character creation, but I kept running into my backup characters being you guys. But one of them was going to be either an angelic or devilish jock. Mm-hmm. And then Hal got pitched. And the other one was going to be an adoptive, like, fatherly druid. Right. And then I found out what Law had. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> that's, that's funny because my Dragonborn character would have been a paladin. Which is why I didn't end up playing her. And her, her tenets were essentially going to be like a Sisters of the Traveling Pants kind of thing. My, yeah. Wow. <laughs> so it would have been great if we like, all adopted each other. My, like We were all trying to race who could be each other's parents. My backup character, if I hadn't played Hal, I was, I was thinking I'd play a rogue. And then Angelo picked rogue. And I was like, okay, not going to be a rogue. <laughs> well, I mean, after season one, it was like, okay, I get to play a character this time. There's no reason not to play my favorite race class combo because yeah. I haven't gotten to in forever. Right. And Thayer's is it. Like, I love Thayer's. I think one of the hardest parts was actually coming up with names for some of these characters, especially Gaspar. Gaspar we, was, oh. th- there was well, wait, deliberation. Now you're still getting ahead of it. You're still getting ahead yes, of it. Let's go back a little bit more. The thing is, the, the thing with the names, though, it's because we very specifically wanted them to sound unlike each of the other names and each of the other actor names and the names from season one. Yeah. And other shows and, and franchises that are popular. Yeah. Yeah. And okay. So then there was, I got, okay, I'll play the rogue. And originally it was supposed to be like a Shadar Kai. Mm-hmm. And then 
Zach threw in the idea, okay, what if we do like more of a monstrous race? And I was like, okay, maybe vampire, revenant. And I got really and, excited about the idea of an undead. And yeah, a Dulahan undead character. It's like, yeah, let's do that. And then switched into this in between life and death. Not not undead, so it's in it's like frozen the time between. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And then we went into like what Gaspar was going to do. And yeah, so I'm about to hit the pinnacle of what I kind of want to do. Peepopsio. <laughs> what I kind of want to do with Gaspar. And yeah, the naming. I have an unknown rule to most of these people. And naming things is a painful experience for me. <laughs> it, it's it, okay. I can't say it's childbirth, but uh, I get real into my head with naming things. It's got, it's important to me. It's at least kidney yep. stone. And yeah. <laughs> boy, did Gaspar's name take a long time. Yeah. And I'm real happy with it at the yeah, end. For sure. It, so we, it was literally the only name he pitched that I actively didn't like. And then he went with it. I was like, of course. It, it was way too good. Uh, you liked it for superfluous reasons. <laughs> so you disliked it for superfluous reasons. That's funny. I, I usually just give my characters one name. Like if you look at all my personal characters, like besides Penelope and Amelia, I have Deirdre and Mavis and Darvish and a bunch of characters. So for Penny, I was kind of going through Greek names. And I'm like, oh, well, I could be like Sappho or Xanthippe. And I said, well, what about Penelope? And then Zach pitched Penelope what farthing. about Penny Farthing? <laughs> mm-hmm. I'm like, that's that's fucking great. But actually, the reason I'm piping in is on the question about races. The reason I made her a deer satyr and not a regular satyr, which you know I've called a fawn, is partially because of Arvid was already very goat themed, mm-hmm. and then because I've um, I've already played in in a personal game like a goat satyr character, and I wanted to do something a little different. And I I love deer. Yeah. There you go. So for D&D groups, pretty standard as far as like trying not to step on each other's toes for racing class combos. But for the performance part, much higher tier of being like names that are unique, things that don't reference other characters that already exist. So that's pretty much that one. So how about uh, do you have a preference since we're all professional dungeon masters here? Do you have a preference of being a player or a DM? And what are your favorite aspects of both? That is from Brandon Wills. I fucking love both so much. I love both of them so, so much. Same. They're both amazing. I fucking hate DMing. <laughs> <laughs> oh. I would have I would have answered that last season. Yeah, no, that's fair. No, no. I don't I don't really hate DMing. I think the problem is I, I actually really prefer playing by a wide margin. And this is gonna sound super up my own ass, but most people I know are really shitty DMs and I really hate playing in games with bad DMs. And so I typically tend not to want to play. And I'm always just like, you know, I'm just going to fucking run the game because I I want to tell the story and I want a cool story. And often that's not a priority for the DM. And so it just ends up being a, a murder hobo fuck around. And I'm like, I don't like this. This is so boring. But no, that was one of the reasons why I absolutely loved luck and uh, law to this day. You are still the best fucking game I've ever played in a, ever. Well, maybe like we're pulling you into this world where like there's a lot more like professional DMs and not just like regular everyday groups in people's basements that will disappoint you. I don't think I've actually ever played with a good like a good professional DM. So, yeah, I think you're dead on on that. I think playing with like with good DMs actually has changed the game for me. Mm -hmm. I like DMing. I think I prefer playing because it gives me more opportunity to develop a character. I think you can develop characters as a DM but I'm of the opinion that as a DM, what your job really is to do is world build mm-hmm. and then turn the players loose in that world. And then you 
build the connective tissue between what they're doing. Mm. And so, yeah, you can develop characters, but the characters that are at the forefront of the story are the party. And you're typically not writing their story. They are. Mm -hmm. So as a player, you get a little bit more opportunity to do that. That said, I do enjoy DMing a lot, especially for new groups, because I love the just absolute chaotic energy that new players bring to the table where they just one one drawback to sitting at a table full of professional DMs is they tend to look at solutions in terms of what's the system built for me to do? How can I accomplish this with the spells and abilities on my sheet? And new players don't have that mindset at all. They're just like, what the fuck would I, can I do this? And you're just like, fuck it, you can do that. That's totally chill. I would agree, except at this fucking table, everybody seems to be like, I'm going to think of the coolest, weirdest ass fucking way I can solve this problems. I'm looking at you, Law. There is, there is a, there is a, there's a, there's a there's a plateau and then, and then like a forced creativity that you can go into where you're like. Let me think unconventionally here. But new players just naturally fall into that because they don't know conventions yet. Yeah. So I like DMing for new people a lot. I think it's a lot of fun. It's funny. Your answer is like the literally exact opposite of mine. Uh (laughs) (laughs) That happens a lot. Yeah. Zach Zach and I are are antithetical in many ways. And yet both very ADHD cis white dudes. Yes. (laughs) Yes. I think I prefer DMing a lot more. I get to hit the flow state so much more consistently and boy is that the desired effect mm-hmm. of me playing D&D it's where for some reason I can activate a lot of creative pistons going off in my brain mm-hmm. and I like it I that's when I feel like I'm creating so many different things because yeah I'm when something is happening on the table I'm creating three to ten different situations and I'm like, okay. And, it, and I can see the branching of existences opening up before me. I do really like playing. I think it just requires, yeah, you have to have a good DM and maybe one or two other people to play off of in the group yeah. to hit that flow state of being in your character, interacting with both the world and the other players' characters. And what you're getting to create is not, is much more focused. You get to create what your character is feeling at that moment. And I mean, I've hit it multiple times at this table, but when I'm DMing, I can have any situation, any type of player at my table, and I will find a different way for me to have fun. Mm-hmm. I not necessarily happened with every game that I've played in. I sometimes just get absolutely shut down. I'm going, oh, it's kind of this kind of game or oh nobody's playing together or oh this is just uh this we're just gonna phone it in yeah uh, on this one it do happen yeah i'm pretty similar to angelo i'm a long time forever dm i honestly love both but if i were to pick one it would be dming just for you know creating a world and creating a story and it's really rewarding when people are enjoying it and sometimes if they're not it can be a big drag I do really enjoy being a player in a stream or podcast format because it allows for a lot more role playing, a lot more uh, inhabiting of that character, and like frankly, more more kind of character bleed, which I discovered I really enjoy. Yeah. The basic sum up for me is I think it's probably DMing, but it's because like I'll look at my collection of miniatures, my collection of books, and being like, boy, I love putting value to this. But the way I DM is I get I DM with a lot of player envy. 
I, I <laughs> run games in a way that it would be like, I just want to do something that I am dying to be at the table while this is happening. Perfect example being like, okay, you all are going into the undead city. Describe to me what you look like now that you're undead. Like yeah. That kind of thing. I just want to be like, and then jump into one of the player seats and get to do that. It's also one of the reasons when I play characters, I have a really hard time playing really dumb characters. It's fun and I have a great time, but they, we get into these situations where we can solve puzzles or role play and I'm not allowed to like do and say See, the that, things that I really want. That's funny because I had a really hard time with this when I first started playing Penny is I'm so used to DMing. I'm not used to taking an active role in the story and I, I tend to play characters like NPCs where I kind of sit back and, yeah. and I realize like, oh, oh shit, it's on me. And to clarify, I do want to draw back because I don't want anybody out there to think that I don't like running this game. I do. I really do. And I mean, I, sorry, yeah. I, I don't want to interrupt, but it's also it's very much in whatever moment you're in. And so like right now, I would I thought about it pretty hard because I was like late in the table. Um, I love DMing. Right now, I'm in so many games that it feels exhausting and yeah. I might not feel that in this moment. And especially where, you know, currently I have a lot of other creative outlets so maybe it's a little different. So I had to kind of step back and use a, a slightly broader perspective. Yeah, I totally get it. And and honestly, for me, a lot of it is I just really like telling a story. And I think I prefer writing to DMing. And I think I prefer DMing to playing. And I think I prefer playing to watching other people play. <laughs> I would agree with all of that for you. Yeah. All of that tracks very hard. Yeah. And- yeah, and that was, I mean, that was honestly an issue with season one is I think I was, I think I, as the the producer, tried too hard to put my hands on things because I like the story to go a, a certain way and I tend to get so like buzzy in my head and I'm like, if this doesn't play like this, I'm just going to panic, you know, and it's that like that kind of ADHD anxiety panic where you're like, oh God, oh God, oh God, it just has to do this. Right. And with the, with LUQ recording format, as the other DM that knows this, the a couple of days leading up to a recording day Awful. are so full of just like weird panic and stress that sitting down that day and being like, I love DMing. It just doesn't feel right. Like it's yeah, just, it just feels like. I don't know if I would enjoy DMing for the show just because of the added pressure of viewership. Well, too bad you're gonna. Yeah. <laughs> Coming this winter. I want at least each of you to run at least one session that is going to happen. Just, you know, fucking put it on your calendars. Question marks on every single day. <laughs> Zach, Zach will let us know the weekend before like hey I've got nothing for this recording session you want to go <laughs> no. run Excalibur yeah there we go <laughs> nice next question next question is a very good one and I think this will be our last full length question I've got some fun bonus ones if we have time at the end but lightning round this one is from Twindigo and this question is what ability spell or attack is most iconic for your character since we're like very branded and on theme and then my follow up for the DM is what kind of scene that we've seen thus far do you think best describes your DMing style ooh body horror (laughs) (laughs) it's funny Uh, you know I get the body horror thing a lot I actually don't think I include that much body horror no you do I really don't like what's, (laughs) what's what's an example of body horror that I've done uh, uh, the the father the, the uncle in the basement. Okay, um, granted the, the, the night that we fought that was blighted. I would not call the uncle body horror. But that is that is purely that is purely gore. Uh, body horror is a whole different genre. What about the cloud god? Again, not body horror. That's cosmic horror. Uh, spider lady in Little League. 
Uh, spider lid, not 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 body horror. Okay, body horror would be like if one of you started growing an uh, like if you started to notice a slit on your arm. Okay, and, okay. The, and the slit starts to slowly open up, uh, okay. and eventually you see that you're growing eyes all over your body. All That's right. body it's, horror. We went too specific. Eldritch horror. Is there the we go. That's yeah. the one because <laughs> all of those fit under that umbrella. Although I will say, for for my take personally, like anything that involves kind of like surgery kind of stuff, I feel can fit into the body horror thing because you can see it on yourself. Sure, like, sure. You watch someone cutting their own arm off you relate to it. I feel like if the intent is to have you feel it then yes but my intent is never to have you feel it for yourself but to look at it and go that is terrifying yeah. that is unpleasant okay. to okay. see okay. That makes as sense. Zach says this arm thing what's the status of our character's health insurance because <laughs> that is very worrying to me you're all covered by a, a, a aura gold plan mm-hmm. oh, thank thanks, thanks to the mules yeah, <laughs> yeah. I think at this point for Iavos, it's probably the caustic brew caustic bottle of brew. mystery, but also like the flavors of blight knife, <laughs> things like oh, that yeah. are pretty good too. And then just bless, bless and guidance. Like I just do that a lot. Guidance. guidance. Yeah. I think based on his role play, guidance is probably the most iconic thing at this point. Right. For for Penny, and I recently joked about this, it's definitely fairy fire. Mm. And she has a lot of concentration spells, so it's... It's very much an either-or situation, and that one tactically is frequently just the best choice. And it's also thematic in a way that I really enjoy. So that's definitely it for her. Oh, my God. I hate it. Crossbow shot? Is that it? Is that (laughs) all I've got? I am not iconic at all. Convincing. Uh, Excuse me. It is definitely run behind a thing, pop out, and then shoot somebody. It is. is. It's convincing, Zach, that you should have advantage on this shot so that you can sneak attack. That's your iconic. I think it's it's the whack-a-mole. Yeah, where I, I stick limbs from different parts of cover, including my head, right. where I don't have to be yeah. in shooting. You're from like a there. fucking vaudeville act. <laughs> it's great. Yeah. Right. It's funny too because like one of the things that I think is most iconic for Gaspar is out of your control, which is someone making you blind. Yeah, <laughs> yeah that's true. <laughs> like three or four times. That's like, unreal. Because well, he's the he's he's the freaking range no, character, and so they're like, get him. <laughs> it's a very fun season two trope. Like, but like people that listen actually notice how much Gaspar moves around during fights. And my partner asked me like recently, like, I, I don't know how to play play a rogue. And I'm like, just pretend you're Gaspar. Like, just mm-hmm. roll, throw some leaves up, get behind something. Just keep moving. Yeah. Keep on moving. You you know, guys, I want to move even more throughout this map. But it's just <laughs> not strategically correct. But I try and touch as many things as possible. <laughs> Yeah, it's like a Naruto fight, you know? <laughs> it turns out you're a log. You're actually over here climbing yeah. the wall. Uh, a Jackie Chan fight. There you oh, go. Yeah, Jackie I'm, tra- yeah. I'm trying to get the ladder involved. Yeah, you give me a ladder yeah. and like a pot of water or like a, a piece of rope. A bucket of sand. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, can we just get some mad love for fucking Sammo Hung's directing and his ability to be like, everything you see in this scene will be used. Yeah. And then Jackie's ability to do it quite physically well. Yeah. <laughs> just executes it perfectly. I think Hal's trademark thing is is... Using his Scourge Paladin aura at the worst possible time, and then having to cancel it because it's it's <laughs> it's it's blocking everything else that everyone else is trying to do. Like it's just const- every time I try and use it, it either gets absorbed because whatever it is is immune to radiant damage, 
or I have to cancel it because it's hurting me and the rest of the party more than it's hurting any of the enemies. I mean, that's just AOE damage, yeah. though. Like, especially when it's centered on you. Yeah. Well, it's like the the idea had been like, how's like the only melee character? So I should be able to just kind of throw myself into the middle of things and it won't be that bad. But we always end up clustered somehow or my AOE will deny somebody else. And it's just like your character is also built around defending and yeah. that requires being next to people. Yeah, I think that's I think that's part of what it is. Yeah, for sure. What was the what was the exact wording of my question again? Well, what pick a scene from this season that to you feels like a really nice sum up of like DMing style or something that you're just really proud of, you know? The spot. What? You're on the spot. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I, I just saw the face. Sorry, I was like. <gasps> so I'm thinking about that, and it's actually kind of hard to answer because my DMing style would be most effectively encapsulated by probably the entire fight. With the first blighted, mm-hmm. with the with the sh- the the wielder of the chivalric mm. edge, that scene from beginning to end is most indicative of how I run things. I like that. But I would say overall, what I the way I run games has changed just by virtue of running this game. Mm-hmm. I have changed the way I understand things. I've never done minis and battle maps before, and y'all might have noticed. I'm really enjoying the tactics of D and D combat, and I, I am hope. surprised to hear you say that because. <laughs> You, you come up with so many mechanics that incorporate them in so many good ways. I've never once in my entire life been interested in, in, in D&D style tactical combat. And the moment I started to realize what my what my brain can do with it, I've started to get more and more excited about how I do it. Well, I selfishly like tried to win you over to it oh, with did. season one. Because <laughs> like I did the same thing. I always tried to bring special props and then have the battlefield be part of the encounter. Right. Mm. Yeah. I could, I could. One other thing that I think is kind of a hallmark of your style this season mm. If if I can point it out, I was joking mostly about the body horror thing. Yeah. I think you do a lot of outsourcing of little scenes. You ask us, like, think of something, and then mm. you give us the floor to just right. describe something. Like, that's happened now two or three times at least where you're like, here's a scene, and I want you to do this. And then you just sit there just just dry rubbing your hands together <laughs> as we're just feeding you narrative content that you can then weave into your game and you're just so excited about being given extra cards in your hands. It rules. Law, yeah. gave me, Law gave me the idea with season one. He did it a few times, but yeah. I'm like, I want to do this as much as possible because yeah. in this table, everyone here is a pro DM, which means I know I can trust you guys to give good stuff, but more importantly, I always try to do it for, for your character's perspective because to me, one, you're right, it does feed me things, but more specifically, it feeds me what I can do with your characters later. Yeah. Because we could just sit there and like have a discord chat and be like all right tell me everything you want to happen with your character but with this you guys accidentally give me stuff with things like like penny with the, with the first poem she read mm-hmm. with the freaking uh the the darkwood i literally was planning the darkwood already and then she just walked into it and i'm like oh my god <laughs> see that's funny because um Completely candidly, I had no planned dark twist for Penny's background like that until the Labyrinth when I realized I don't have any stories to tell. Ugh. And so I that was invented at that time in the campaign. Yeah, and that's the thing is just like for me, being able to trust my players is just something I'm not used to. <laughs> and like I've always tried to cultivate good good you know, characters and everything like that and good players and good dynamics. But a lot of the time, the players I choose, they're very shy and they're very awkward and they don't feel very confident. They don't usually like to DM, but y'all are very just out there and you do cool shit. And I fucking love it. Just a side note to track back just a little bit. Sure. Dana, yeah, when you said that you didn't plan Dark Twist, once again, another thing that makes Gaspar slightly more sympathetic mm. to Penny, I'm like, damn it, why are you doing this? <laughs> I'm supposed to hate you. <laughs> I right. love our story. Yeah, it's pretty great. 
I'm just going to throw out a couple of quick unaffiliated bonus questions. Lightning round. Ether. So real quick, what do you think is a song or a genre of music that sums up your character or the world? Canonically, Gaspar does like line drumming. Mm. So like marching music, mm-hmm. all that stuff. But boy, oh boy, would he just love good old jazz drumming. Yeah. As like, that's where he would be in Zenith. Right. The night, the jazz clubs. Yeah, like dueling drums or or trumpets or something. I cannot tell you how excited I am for the coming chapters because you guys are finally, you finally have a passport to go in other places in Zenith and there's so much cool shit you can do in this world. I'm oh, just yeah. like, ugh. I so, already have a neighborhood in, planned. So Gaspar <laughs> cares most about the notes that you're not playing. <laughs> uh, for Penny, this answer is very much going to be indie or folk type music. Fair. Mm. And party anthems. <laughs> Also, just I imagine like very world music, like folk music from other regions, you know, Greek, you know, flute music and shit like that. Like, I just get a lot of that from her. Just this kind of worldly like, ah, right. Relax. Right. I could could see Penny also being like super into like what's what's on like the top 10 chart. Just being like, this fucking slaps. This rules. This is great. This is so happy. I feel like nobody appreciated the fact that that was my answer for RTM. It's like probably top 100. No, I know. It's just like (laughs) he doesn't have to do the work. It's just presented to him. I was like, yes, I will say this is good. Okay, that's really funny. Yeah, I remember that about our tune. Yeah. Mm-hmm. The easy answer for how would be like jock jams. Yeah. Like that's, that's, that's is that a thing. Pretty like obvious. Oh, yeah. Jock Across the fucking Yeah, I was going to say, but it's probably like also stuff like 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 Metallica and, mm. you know, like 80s rock. And I just, think he's got kind of like the Brock Sampson music taste where he's like listening to the version of like Led Zeppelin even into his like 40s and 50s. Yeah. yeah. I could see that very. I was thinking like celestial dubstep or something. Yeah, I think there's probably some EDM. There's probably some yeah, EDM like, in there. Imagine a choir or gospel music with EDM. That's what I thought. But yeah, mm. jock jams, but butt rock. Yeah, the kind of stuff they play at gyms. Yeah, yeah. exactly. Things to hype you up or sports games. It's mostly just Queen. I was about yeah. to say you're just Queen. Your Scrypod just has like a bunch of entrance themes on it. Yeah. <laughs> Nice. I, I think for Iowa's it's it's probably just like sad fiddle music. I don't know. Like, <laughs> it's like it's the music that plays in the background when they're reading a letter on a reenactment of a Civil War story. <laughs> <laughs> there you go. It's funny if you ask me for the world, which is funny. It's obviously like a very bisected. This is a reference of this world. Sure, sort of sure. Setting. I have definitely worked lyrics into the game already, but I would say that error. If you were to really pin it down. If you have not watched the movie Hereditary, do and listen to its its score. Mm-hmm. Error's entire theming should feel like the score to Hereditary, especially the final two acts, mm. uh, especially the final act. And just the, the unbelievable intensity of that final piece is just gut-wrenchingly perfect nice. to me. I, I like, I like that you picked an OST. I think that's very yeah. much <laughs> Yes. But I would say Zenith. Uh, would be most closely compared to a vaporwave soundtrack. Oh, I figure it. It's just like like industrial commercial music. Like, dun, 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 oh dun, no, dun, 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 no <laughs> yeah. For me, the whole place, especially the ring and uh, and hub itself, I always kind of imagined as being kind of a cyberpunk environment. So yeah. for me, it's it's vapor and uh, and synthwave, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. especially those like really pounding drum lines or uh, bass lines. A little bit of dark wave. Yeah, dark wave, yeah. totally. <laughs> exactly. Uh, like that, literally the OST for Drive would be perfect for uh, yeah. for the ring. Yeah, that's very, very synth vapor. Next one is, uh, this is just going to be for, for, some of these are individual ones. So it, what kind of doll did Penny have as a baby fawn? Yeah. Aww. 
Gosh, that's such a good question. Penny definitely had a little handmade doll that just also looked like Penny. Mm. (laughs) 1,000%. Little fawn bee. Yeah, a little fawn. It's not like a stuffed bumblebee. (laughs) Um, (laughs) You wind it up and all it does is try to stand up and it just wobbles its legs. Like but, but it's the bumblebee right action figure from Transformers. Look, she, <laughs> she, she loves songbirds. She love, she loves bees. And um, and that's actually funny. There is a, a penny emote that is not that I have that's not on the Discord server, where um, I wanted it to be a hug emote. So I said, why don't why don't we have her you know hugging like a plush? And they said, sure. What kind of plush do you want it to be? And I, I said, how about a plush bumblebee? And it's a transformer. <laughs> and oh yeah. <laughs> I love it even more now, but yeah. it's, uh, yeah, it's just, it's not one of the main ones. Uh, what is Gaspar's dream head? Ooh. I, now, there are some rules surrounding what head I can take, but boy, oh boy, if I could have any demigod's head, mm. just the overwhelming addictive power, I think, would be Gaspar's choice. Mm-hmm. Like, it wouldn't even matter what what perception that had. But now, if it's Angelo's dream head. Right. I, I feel like I already got it with the bat head. Mm. The sweet echolocation is, is what I want. If, I don't know, there was some sort of whale head, it'd be even better. Y'all know my tier list. It's <laughs> a big head to hang off your belt, though. <laughs> right. I'm well, so sorry like that a, I... It would be like a... There are small whales, <laughs> but, you Relatively know, speaking. <laughs> yeah. Some form of baleen humanoid head. Ah, with yeah. The whale folk. Yes. With a bit of echolocation. If the ocean could be my oyster and I could just explore it. If, mm. if filter feeding, filter feeding. <laughs> if Gaspar had a Medusa head, could he petrify people with it? It only has the senses of the, of the creature. Okay, yeah, I I can't borrow their their stuff. Okay, I so, mean, I might yeah. modify that as time goes on, but we'll see. Which so is like, what I'm hoping for the demigod head. But so I, a, a dragonborn head wouldn't have a breath weapon or anything like that either. Then okay, because it's pretty fucking not, cool. Though it doesn't have lungs. Okay, <laughs> that would be very cool. Thinking back to the doll question, I love the mental image of if Penny made this doll, and it's just made like really poorly out of like sticks and leaves and shit there you go i would love that it's a wicker michael i just realized yeah gaspar's dream head would be his own it's his own you got it you answered yeah. my <laughs> he just wants his back i'm so I sorry I, it back i'm so sorry i took the Vries head from you so quickly no it's fine it's fine I mean, it's great to be fair you did get like three times where they tried to blind you and it didn't <laughs> work yeah. it was great i loved it it just makes you want more that's yeah. that's good also, I could just see Penny's doll being the kind of doll that you look at and it's super cute, but if it's set in the wrong way and its head's just like tilted, it suddenly becomes like terrifyingly creepy. <laughs> <laughs> the light uh, hits it the wrong way and casts a shadow on the wall. Yeah. Oh, 1000%. Mm-hmm. It definitely has little twig antlers. So what is the different mental energy that you have to bring between playing Hal and Harithax? Ooh. Neither of them were very smart, but Harithax was cunning in, in a way that, that Hal is not. There is there is no tact. There is no guile. It's just like whatever the first thing that I think of is, that's Hal's goal. <laughs> and, and, and that's that's a challenge for me because I'm a chronic overthinker and planner and and Hal isn't. So like, the next character that I play is going to be a high intelligence character. But 
you know, the fact that it's the first thought that occurs to you explains exactly why Hal keeps poking holes in my world. Yeah. And I have to keep rapidly filling them. Yeah. <laughs> I kind of like, there's a good amount of planning that goes into Hal's energy. Yeah. And... Because you think about what Hal would think about. Right, right. So yeah. there's a good amount of supporting, and that's why you come out with great lines. I just, I have to get in the headspace, and yeah. then it's just, it's just embrace the dumb. Uh, yeah. But and, I do think that, because you were saying, like, Dave has the sports brain, yeah. D&D brain, lawyer yeah. brain. And I think you, you know, you've you got sports brain and D&D brain. Yeah, I did. Parathax was D&D brain. I thought you were going to say he has dumb brain. Yeah. <laughs> I know. I and used to watch. I used to watch a lot more sports than I do now, but I do know things about sports, so I do incorporate those here and there. Right. I imagine, like with Hal, it's just like he wants to do it by the book, but like actually, any other thought going into that action is secondary. Yeah. <laughs> so this is actually a little off topic, but just in ways that people prepare for characters, I know that you, Michael, have like read sports biographies. A couple. Yeah. Yeah. Um, more than one or none, which well, is I read, beats the I, average. <laughs> I read the first part of Mike Tyson's, as it happens, actually. And I read, uh, who was the other one that I, there was some other sports person. I, I actually can't remember whose biography it was right now. I just think that's a really cool detail of how you get kind of in your headspace. And I, I will admit, like, I've read books on, like, Greek divination and things like that. Yeah. Uh, you might want to read about uh, Floyd Mayweather uh, Jr. and... Smoke and Joe Frazier, both of which who had fathers that were less successful and then they became literally. Like, oh, OK. Yeah, that was I was actually looking for like sports dynasties, but there aren't as many dynasties in boxing, real life boxing. Boxing yeah, for gets sure. a good amount. Moneyball, actually, and I it think translates it translates well to, to blood sport of LUQ. Too. Yeah. Yes. There was a quick one for Iavos, which was what was the inspiration for Iavos' spell components? I guess like there was some examples of like growing up in Montana. There's a lot of really small old towns and a lot of friends of family like had ranches and reservations and stuff. And we would go out and find like literally old burned down huts and houses from like civil war era. And sometimes you dig through the rubbish and there would be like somewhere on my shelf back at home years ago, there was like a can of like sardines that was like 80, 90 years old, completely covered in rust and, we would go camping out where there's like little old cabins and you'd see like a ladle that's like this ladle is older than like anyone in my family and it's just hanging on the wall here and something about these items having their own kind of like power and like they've been passed down so much that they they matter like you know you have like that one special pan it's like everything that I cook in this just tastes better you're literally speaking into my heart (laughs) or or the idea of like you know seasoning a cast iron pan you Mm -hmm. know like if you're using your great great grandma's cast iron pan there's something magical about the cornbread you're going to bake in it it just happens it's not just science there's something familial that ties into it that's really sweet Um, and the last one we'll just all go around real quick and say what's our favorite magic item from this season so far Ophidian's whip (laughs) we don't even know what it does it's just cool that thing slaps (laughs) I mean the the sham wow is pretty rare. <laughs> I no. do like the sham. I love my my handkerchief of unquestionable origin. I really like my spectacles for Iavos because I know that while they kind of have a mechanical bonus, the idea of what they feed the DM is exciting to me. Like, what one little thing could we know about this scenario that you can feed us? That's not gonna you can literally dictate how much I learn from it and just give us that extra little spice. That's that's very choice to me. I don't like to answer my own magic item or one that I do own, but the Skull of the Restless Dead recharging on a night where you don't sleep. Yeah, that was is, one of my favorite things. Mm, that's, yeah, I love that <laughs> item. 
<laughs> just want to eat that up. That's oh god, because that every time I see okay, it regains three charges at dawn. I kind of roll my eyes and go like <laughs> basic ass little item. Yeah, I want more to that. I always I, want it to be like a specific recharge scenario. Yeah, anything that adds to the store because who I got it from. You know, mm-hmm, somebody exactly. just wanted to take the sleep to finally inhabit somebody else's body that they had uh, snatched, I guess. <laughs> and the, you know, the the resting mechanic, uh, it, it was great. And I understand why some of the spells that I can cast from it aren't, you know, the greatest. You know, there's Spare the Dying. There's, you know, there's some good spells there. I, you know, one can, one can hope that it scales. Uh, but boy, <laughs> right. oh boy, adding to the recharge mechanic is something I actually never thought of because mm-hmm. I think about fucking with magic items all day but the recharging charges on a night where you don't sleep right 100% like obviously magic items need charges coming up with original ways that you have to recharge them that doesn't involve just like next dawn that's very rich. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You're making me blush super hard oh, right now. So good. <laughs> Obviously, Hal's magic items are both weapons right now, which are in general in, in gameplay, both as a player and a DM, not my favorite. They're not usually super interesting. Zach's done interesting things with both of mine, but I prefer the weird magic items that, that have like off-label uses that you can just do crazy shit with. My favorite magic item that we've got so far, I actually think is probably Zillow's. Mm. I think it's really I think it's really interesting. I think it's really cool. I like that the the patina goes away when it gets bloodshed on it. I think that's a cool feature. I think that's probably my favorite thing that we've got so far. And Zillow's is very fun just because the way that came about is I liked kind of the the imagery of it in my head, but I, I literally when we were starting was just like it, I think it'd be really funny. If Penny just, you know, pulled a sword and shield off of an old patinaed bronze statue in a garden and just like brought him with her and used it. And then Zach was the one that kind of ran with that and said, okay, but let's, you know, kind of build this story on top of it. It had to be that statue. Right. Right. And that's actually why if you look at some of the concept art I commissioned for Penny from before we started, the, uh, the sword and shield... They're very beautiful. They have like wrapping like grapes and ivy. And there's this like face of Dionysus on the shield. But it's the reason it's not really, you know, Zillow-esque the way that you would picture it now is is because it's from that original concept. Right. I like that Law's favorite magic item is the one he came up with. <laughs> I meant because of, it gives you a resource as a DM. Sure, Come sure. on. <laughs> no, you're fine. I didn't actually decide what it did either. Oh, yeah. no. All I said was I wanted to find my father's spectacles and maybe it could be tied Mm. to insight. Admittedly, yeah. Right. Mechanically, I'm going to have to agree with the skull uh, just because I think, like, as soon as I read that, I just thought it was very cool. I've been for a long time just a sucker of the object that turns into a weapon thing. So, like, the thing like the books is always just like I that kind of magic item for me is always really fun. Just the transformative. And plus, it's very visual because you see it like out of nowhere. Yeah. And I... I did name them. Yeah. So now it is weapons of poison, weapons of rationality. Mm-hmm. So one turns into a saber, a rapier, and, and then I, the other ones like crossbows, yeah. daggers. And Just I think rash- it makes most sense that you actually got both of them because it could have been a thing where like two different party members both have a weird book weapon. But like mm-hmm. you just having like the one in each hand thing, it's pretty sweet. Yeah. For me, favorite magic items, oh boy. I mean, I like a lot of them, and I really had fun designing them. I really like the pen. 
I really loved the idea. Mm-hmm. Of I like a the pen design that, of it. Yeah, I like the idea of a pen that's also a, a you know spear and a mm-hmm. staff at the same time, and the idea that it helps you regain spells. I thought that was a really interesting little bit. Mm-hmm. Really, I've just enjoyed making them, but I do feel like Skull of the Restless Dead is my favorite, just because it, again, it was the theming. I was like, I want this to feel like this was the head of a thing that couldn't sleep, and that felt really good to make and honestly the reason why i didn't make it super strong is because i don't like magic items that are super strong mm-hmm. i like them to be conditional i like Agreed. them to be and like utility stuff is important like the ability to speak with the dead or the ability to you know do this stuff that you may never have chosen to put a spell into like you don't want that slot prepared because yeah. it's like there's so many more useful ways you guys are going to build ways for your characters to be powerful but like the ability to just slide something in that you can go oh kick ass I can now do this thing unexpectedly and that you're just like hold on I've got something for that and you r- rustle around in your bag and pull out this you know fucking shrunken head don't worry I've, yeah. I do have a plan I'm just waiting for a trigger and it's gonna be great I don't know if it'll work but it's the attempt that counts yes <laughs> Yep, I'm a huge fan of making magic items if you can figure out from season one, and I'm loving seeing what Zach's doing with them. Thank you. Well, that was a very great season two LUQ&A. Once again, thank you everyone who submitted questions. We'll be sure to collect more in the near future, so start thinking of them now. It's not a standard episode, so we can just kind of lead into an outro, I suppose. How about thank you again to everybody that asked a question. Yeah, yeah. for sure. Thank you so much. I feel like I know these people. And now. you can ask questions at any time. You don't have to wait for us to start putting the call out. I think there is a Google Doc, so anytime you can just kind of shoot us a message, email, Discord. Twitter is useful, especially because you can use hashtags. Yeah. But honestly, feel free to use hashtags in Discord. When we search for it, being able to search for hashtag LUQ&A would be so good. So please, if you're going to ask a question, please put hashtag LUQ&A no matter where you put it. And I know that Discord will try and make that one of the chat rooms, but you can still search it. It still works. Yeah. So... And we yeah, we specifically have a channel just for asking questions. Yeah. So like they'll be the kind that you want to submit to the show. Absolutely, LUQ and other ones you're like, we're, we'll try to answer them because we're interacting with the fans. Yeah. But we also want to save some for these kind of episodes. And we'll just answer them if they don't work well as Q&A things. Yes, exactly. Uh, so you already know LUQ, the LUQ.com is the place to go. We'll be back, you know, in a... probably 30 episodes for another Q&A, something roughly on there. We don't have a format. We just do it when it feels right. And uh, until next time, We wish you luck. Woo!